are listening to the Batflip Podcast, a baseball podcast from Belly Up Sports and the Belly Up Podcast Network. Here are your hosts, Damian and Matt. Welcome back, everyone, to the Batflip Podcast. My name is Damian here with my co-host, Matt. We are coming to you on November 30th of 2021. We've had a, a wild past week um, since last time we talked to you. You know, we said that with the looming uh, CBA lockout, going to happen that maybe we're going to get a, a couple players wanting to sign before that and uh, did the whole whirlwind happen of uh, I think we've had over 30 moves happen since we talked to you last week uh, we're going to hit on the biggest ones and it's going to be a long episode but before we jump into all that how are you doing Matt doing good um, I actually got a new computer in today so hopefully uh, everything goes smoothly with my audio and um, been uh, following all this free agency craziness and uh, to another sports theme the college football coaching carousel has been maybe as crazy as the free agency but of course this is a baseball show so we're gonna talk about baseball today yeah how uh i don't i don't know if i've been able to keep up on everything i mean i think i've missed some stuff happening so it's oh, gonna be, sure it's uh it's absolutely wild and i mean as we're even recording this the the tender deadline is i think tonight so i mean news is breaking all over past the place. it yeah, it was it? it was at 8 p.m. Eastern. Okay, so I mean that's all broken, but we'll yeah. that's all going to be for a, a next week's episode or whatever. Uh, we'll go ahead and just jump right in because it's going to be a long one. Uh, but we'll start. We're going to go in in order of how they were signed, um, and then with a couple bigger ones, we'll just throw uh, the big fish in with them. But uh, we'll start with uh, Michael Waka signing a one-year, seven million dollar deal with the Boston Red Sox. Yeah, so Michael Waka is a uh, you know, veteran pitcher, uh, been around, this will be his third, this will actually be his fourth stop, pitched in St. Louis, that's where he was famous for, uh, broke in really well, you know, he had a couple good seasons there, then uh, had a rough year with the Mets in 2020, um, and then this past year with the Rays, maybe he was a little bit better than he was with the Mets, but still wasn't very good, um, so he'll be, uh, you know, part of that, uh, part of that Boston rotation next year, and We'll see where it goes. Then it's just kind of one of those cheap one-year, you know, veteran starter. Maybe he'll be the five, number five starter there type signings, and um, we'll see how he works out. Yeah, sort of like what Garrett Richards was this year for them. Yeah, um, innings just eater. Like that. So, yeah, uh, we're gonna fly through a lot of these, the smaller ones especially. So, not much on Michael Waka. So, sorry if you're a a big Michael Waka fan, and if you are, I'm sorry. But uh. The next one we're going to have is basically the Mets just going on a full-on rampage and giving a blank check to everyone. They signed Starling Marte to a four-year, $78 million deal, Eduardo Escobar to a two-year, $20 million deal, Mark Canna to a two-year, $26.5 million deal, and then the big one, they signed Max Scherzer to a three-year, $130 million deal with an opt-out after year two. Yeah, so um, these are this is a very interesting group of signings here. Um, we'll see what ends up happening with all of them. They're they're all you know there's some risk involved with every single one of them, but you know the payoff could be huge on all of them. Uh, well, I guess we'll start in, you know in order of the uh, chronological. Uh, Eduardo Escobar was their first one, um, and he's a guy that I, I wasn't real high on this signing. He had a pretty good year this year, but he was little inconsistent um you know he's an okay defender he, he'll play third base for them um he's been this will be like his fifth or sixth fifth stop maybe or something um he was he played in arizona this year uh for most of the season and then he got traded to the milwaukee brewers at the deadline 
where he hit pretty well for them uh, until the playoffs where he really, really, really struggled. So we'll see what ends up happening. He's a high, uh, you know, a, 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 a pretty, pretty good power hitter. Um, you know, put up 28 home runs this year, put 35 home runs on the board in 2019. Uh, not much of an own base guy, uh, you know, career uh, 309 on base, which is not very good. Uh, slugging percentage for his career, 4, 436. But over the past three or four years, it's been a lot better than that. So, uh, you know, he's he's just kind of a, an okay third baseman. I, I would assume that he'd be kind of in a, an everyday type role, but, he, you know, not necessarily one of the bigger signings the offseason. Uh, next guy in, in the list, uh, we'll go with uh, Mark Canna, who I, I like Mark Canna a lot if he plays right field or left field. I don't think he's a very good defender, even though he's played center at times. Uh, 2021, he really struggled, um, you know, at the plate more so than he had in the past couple of years, although he was still good. Um, he's, this is a guy that's going to put up a huge walk rate, uh, gets on base a lot, uh, which is which is something that's, you know, needed for the Mets. Not a very high average guy. The power is hit or miss. He hit 26 home runs in 2019, but this year in 141 games, only 17 home runs and a 387 slugging percentage was not very good. But he's put up huge on base percentages this year, 358. Last year, 387. Year before last, 396 on base. So um, that's all been nice for him, and uh, he's put up a you know pretty respectable uh, career so far. And uh, you know the Mets hope that 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 those uh, on base skills continue to continue, and that you know he hits that kind of that power binge that he was on in, uh, in 2019 when he hit 26 homers and put up a four win win above replacement season. Um, so then we'll, uh, you know, move on Starling Marte. Um, he had a fantastic season in 2021, uh, doubled his walk rate almost, uh, you know, hit, hit over 300, hit 310, a 383 on base, 458 slugging, um, stole 47 bases. Um, but you know, his stat line kind of screams regression. Um, he hit 372 Babbitt this year, which is really, really, really high and probably unsustainable. Um, you know, 134 WRC plus is really nice. Pretty good defender. He can play center. Uh, something that the Mets really needed. Um, and uh, you know, he he's a guy that probably with his profile of being a a speed contact type guy, I don't know how long he'll be able to sustain his profile. Um, but he's a guy who I think will be. Um, you know, he, he'll definitely put up a good season regardless, especially for the first couple of years. In fact, Starling Marte, he's up over 30 wins above replacement now, but, um, you know, he's also a 33 year old speed first outfielder. So we'll see how he's able to, um, you know, if he's able to continue to put up these numbers through his age 34, 35, 36 and 37 seasons, uh, cause that might end up being a little bit tough. But um, and then we'll uh, move on. And the last guy, the the big one, Max Scherzer, um, he put up such a great season. We talked about him so much this year that there's really not all, not all that much to say about him. But he put up um, you know, a great season this year. Um, you know, a, a 2.46 ERA, which was actually the best of his career, I believe. Um, and 5.4 wins above replacement. His uh, peripherals were a little bit higher than the ERA, but he was still excellent all year, especially when he got to, when he got to Los Angeles. Um, and, you know, there are concerns with Scherzer. He's a 37 years old. Um, he's got a, he, you know, he had the, a couple of time, a couple of stints on the IL this year, uh, pitched 179 innings, but you know, with his amount of innings, he pitches every start, 
you know, he missed some starts. He only made 30 starts, or, you know, most pitchers make it 33, 34. So he missed three or four starts. Um, but the big thing being in the postseason, you know, he wasn't able to pitch in the NLCS after game two because of quote unquote dead arm. So um, we'll see how fresh he is and, and how well he can pitch in, uh, you know, in, in 2022 and, and, and beyond for the Mets, since they have tied up a lot of money on Scherzer, breaking the all time uh, annual value record for a, for a, baseball player is signing for $43 million a year for the next three years. So uh, the Mets better hope that he's able to continue his um, current progress his current rate of regression, which is not much regression. Um, so over the next three or four years, but uh, definitely a lot of moves for the Mets, uh, you know, like I say, most of them are fairly risky, but they could all work. If they all work out, this could be a really good boost for them. Yeah, and I'll, I'll try and keep it short here with the the Escobar and, and Canna signings. I both, you know, both of those are they scream kind of like a utility kind of bench bat type thing. Depends on what they do with JD Davis if if Escobar is going to be the everyday kind of like third baseman or second baseman or whatever it is. Um, Marte is a guy I thought fit them really well um, overall. You know, a center fielder, a speed and contact guy. I wouldn't worry about as much over a you know a thirty three-year-old that was hitting for power. I mean, that power seems to be the thing that that drops first. You know, even though he did have a career year this year, and that's most likely to come back down to earth. I mean, if you can get a guy from, you know, what he was doing in his Pittsburgh years, close to 280 average, a 330 to 340 on base guy, playing good defense in the outfield, which he does. I mean, I think that's pretty much what you expect from Marte um, going into, you know, hopefully through his age 37 season. Signing Max Scherzer to a, a $43 million deal, I mean, that's a, that's a deal that is absolutely risky. Um, you know, he doesn't seem to be a slowing down as much, I mean, when he's actually pitching on the mound, um, which he's done a lot. I mean, he's over 2,500 innings in his career. Uh, he has missed starts each of the last three years, but, I mean, the way he looked in Los Angeles, he looked as good as ever. The stuff is still there. So if he can stay healthy, I mean, he's a, you know, putting him and Jacob deGrom at the top of that rotation, it's it's nasty. But then you also got like $95 million locked up between, you know, I think it's the top three starters in that rotation or something like that. So it is going to be incredibly risky. But if it works out, I mean, this could be exactly what the Mets kind of needed. And, you know, it doesn't sound like they're done. So we could hear more from them uh, soon. But we'll uh, we'll go ahead and move on because I know we got a lot more to get to. And we'll start with the uh, – the Houston Astros signing Hector Neris to a two-year, $17 million deal. Yeah, this was an interesting deal. Um, Hector Neris is a guy, is a reliever from from Philadelphia that has had a little bit of an up-and-down um, career. He's had some really good years and, and some years that weren't, weren't so great. He closed a lot of games for them. Um, you know, his totals, he, he's actually outperformed his peripherals by quite a bit in his career. Um, he's got a really good fastball-splitter combination. And, uh, you know, he's a guy that I think could be useful if maybe they alter his pitch mix just a little bit, um, as he does have some pr- pretty good amount of swing and miss he gets. But um, And he's also got closing experience, but he just adds some depth to the Houston bullpen, and uh, which is always something you, you like to go after. And uh, two years, $17 million. Might be, might be a little bit more than I would have expected from Hector Neris, but, um, you know, he's, he's also a, a pretty solid veteran reliever, so and a pretty good you know, pretty good look for the Astros to bring somebody in like that. Yeah, I was a little surprised that Neris got more than a guy like Kendall Graveman got. Um, so that that's interesting. You know, Graveman got, I think, eight 
eight per year and Neris got like eight and a half. And I would expect Neris to, to get under what Graveman got. But um, like you said, he could be a, you know, don't expect him to be a closer and don't expect him to be a lockdown guy, but you know, he's somebody that can strike somebody, strike a lot of people out. And uh, you know, if, if Houston can, you know, get that pitch mix in line a little bit more, I mean, he could be a, a good reliever for them. Uh, the next little mood we had happen was Adam Frazier got traded from the San Diego Padres to the Seattle Mariners for two low minor prospects. Yeah, so um, I don't think we'd need to dive into the prospects all that much in this trade because I don't think they're very, very high profile. But um, you look at Adam Frazier uh, put up a really good season this past year. Um, he was he was excellent for the uh, for the Pirates when he was there, putting up a. Um, you know, a 324, 388, 448 line with a 128 WRC plus, three wins above replacement. Uh, tailed off a little bit at the end of the season when he went to the Padres. Um, you know, this is a guy that has a very low strikeout rate, which is good. He's a solid defender at second base, which is good. Uh, but he doesn't especially hit the ball very hard. And he his walk rates are just okay. I mean, you know, for a contact first guy, putting up an 8% walk rate is not that bad. But, um, you know, this is a guy that probably isn't going to put up the same type of season he put up last year. Uh, but, you know, you like the bat-to-ball skills. Uh, you know, strikeout rate under 11% is, is elite. Um, so, you know, this is a guy that could be a useful player. Um, you know, he's kind of one of those you hope he puts up around a, a league average uh, season at the plate. And he performs well in the field and you got yourself a regular, an everyday player if, if that's the case. So, um, you know, and he's also a pretty good base runner, 10 stolen bases this year. Um, so, you know, Adam Frazier is pretty good looking uh, player uh, for the, for the Mariners pick up and they didn't give up a ton for him. So not, not a bad trade for them. Yeah. Like you said, both, both, both prospects are mid twenties and not, I think highest they've ever been is double A. So uh, Frazier is a good pickup. I mean, he could be their starting second baseman this year, depending on what they decide to do in, in the free agent market left. Um, but you know, solid and, pickup, and he, he's a guy who could play a little bit of outfield for him as well. Yeah, I was going to say Adam Frazier can play outfield too. So, you know, he's got some versatility. You know, if you end up signing somebody better to play second base, then, you, you know, he could be a super utility type guy. So, um, you know, that'll be nice for them. And, and I also think he was kind of – he didn't really have a position to play in – um, in San Diego, I mean, their infield's pretty set and then their outfield, you know, they've got some guys coming back off of injury. So yeah. I think they'll be good to go there. Absolutely. Uh, so the next move we had happen was the Miami Marlins signed outfielder as Abisail Garcia to a four year, $53 million deal. Yeah. I like this deal for Miami. Uh, you know, we've talked a lot about how we feel like they have one of the better groups of young pitchers in the big leagues. And, um, I think that, uh, you know, that they needed to add a lot to their lineup. And Avisail Garcia is a good start to that. Uh, the four years part of it, you know, maybe a little bit much. But, uh, you know, you had to lure him to Miami and who, who has had a great history of their, with their free agents. Um, you know, they hope to change that with the current ownership group who hadn't really dived, dived into a spending, um, you know, into a spending pattern yet. So, uh, but Avisel Garcia is a guy who, uh, you know, this year was really solid for, for Milwaukee, uh, 262 average, 330 on base, 490 slugging, at 29 home runs, which was a career high by a pretty good margin. 
Um, you know, he hits the ball pretty hard, puts up, uh, you know, pr- put up pretty good numbers. He's, he's had a couple of really good seasons. 2017, he had a great season for the White Sox. Um, you know, he doesn't walk especially much, strikes out a little bit too much for my liking. But, uh, you know, he seems like a pretty good all-around hitter, 115 WRC plus this year. He's an above-average hitter for his career. And he seems like a guy that might be trending in the right direction for kind of a, you know, mid-career of hitting his peak type thing. You know, he, he, he seems to be, a you know, in pretty good shape there. So um, we'll see how he ends up doing in Miami. But uh, definitely adding a guy who's probably going to be their better hitter, one of their better hitters for this coming up season um, without breaking the bank for him. I mean, you know, he's, he's a, what, 12, 12 million, 13 million a year. 13, so, yeah, um, yeah 13.3. So, uh, you know, not too bad there. And uh, I think it's a pretty good signing for, for Miami. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how he transitions to Marlins Park. Um, you know, he's really played in hitters' ballpark his entire career in you know with the White Sox, the Tampa Bay Rays, and the Brewers. Outside of his one and a half little years he had with Detroit, but that was as he was when he was a rookie. Um, I think the signing that or the part of the signing I like the most about it is that it's good for the Marlins right now, and it doesn't really block them in the future. Like they know they have Jesus Sanchez going to be in left field. You got JJ Blade who's going to be one of your stud center field prospects, you did kind of really had an open outfield spot anyways. So a four year deal for Avisayo Garcia, it doesn't block either one of those. And I mean, it's not, you know, it's not expensive. It's 13 and a half or 13.3 million for a guy who's going to be really solid. He can be a power bat at times. He's going to be play decent defense in right field. He, I think he, the metrics have actually past couple of years shown he's been pretty decent in a right field position. So, it, you know, it's a good signing for the Marlins and something that, you know, like I said, not too expensive and not going to, you know, block their future at all. Absolutely. It's a, it's a good signing for them. See what they got with him this year. And worst case scenario, he's a fourth outfielder for a couple of years. So, or he's a, a cheap bat that you could trade even. Right. Yeah. yeah that's, 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 that's a possibility as well. So, uh, the next move we had happen was, a, it was really interesting to me. It's that the Tampa Bay Rays signed uh, starting pitcher Corey Kluber to a one-year $8 million deal. He could get up to $13 million with incentives. Yeah, Corey Kluber, um, you know, we'll see. Uh, that's kind of the way we'll see how much he pitches. He In the last three years, he's thrown 116 innings. Yeah. So um, put a lot of mileage on his arm between 2014 and 2018. Uh, was one of the best pitchers in baseball, as, as we all know. The last three years, you know, 2019 in Cleveland, you know, dealt with a lot of injuries. After only seven starts, he was shut down for the season, got traded to Texas, where he only pitched one inning before he, he got shut down for the season. Of course, that being the short season anyways. And then 2021 with uh, the Yankees, he looked bad at the very beginning. He got he started to turn it around, look a little bit better, and then he got injured again. So, um, you know, he, this year... Uh, put up a, a, a decent season, um, you know, a th- 385 FIP, 383 ERA um, in 80 innings, which is a perfectly solid season. A one-year $8 million deal is absolutely worth that that production. Um, and then you look at his, um, you know, there are a couple little warning signs. His walk rate was up. His fastball velocity was down. Um, and I think if you look at him going forward, he's probably more of a – I would say he's probably more of like a, a back end of the rotation guy who has some who has some upside. You know, he might end up being better than than people are kind of expecting him to be. 
but the Rays do a really good job of managing their pitchers, not having their starters throw a ton of innings. So I think this Corey Kluber could be a pretty good fit there to be a guy who maybe can be like a bulk guy in their uh, in in their um, you know opener strategies or something where he doesn't have to throw you know six seven innings a start. He can focus on getting three to four really good innings and saving his arm, keeping him healthy. So um, I think this is this is a pretty interesting signing, and I mean. You know, it's you're not like you're throwing away money. You got a chance at having a really good pitcher in your hands, and you're not especially like, you know, you're you're not going to cripple yourself for the future though if he ends up getting injured again. Right. Yeah. It, it is interesting, like you said, the the Braves are really great about managing their pitchers. Um, and you know, Kluber, he was still pretty solid when he did pitch this year. You know, a three eight three ERA, a three eighty five FIP. The X FIP was a little bit higher. Um. But, I mean, he did even throw a no-hitter this year still. So, I mean, he still has some really good stuff in there. It's just all about health. And if he can, you know, if if the Rays can work with him and try to limit that and maybe get him on a different program or something, um, you know, they're they're usually a team that takes these risks on injured pitchers a lot and finds a way to, to make them, you know, reliable at least, even if that's, you know, throwing less innings. So it is going to be interesting to see what he does, and I'm excited actually for for Kluber at the Rays because maybe we see vintage Kluber back for you know even if it's at four innings at a time, five innings maybe. I mean, it's going to be fun to see that because he's one of the better pitchers that we have seen in our generation, and to to watch him go through the injuries the past like three years, it's it's really sucked. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's honestly probably derailed what could have been a potential borderline hall of fame career that these yeah. last three years and um it sucks to see but you know you never know with pitchers sometimes the injuries can just pile up on them and uh, really affect them so absolutely so the next one that we'll have is it's an extension that uh there was a lot of rumors around the trade deadline that this player was going to get traded um and then even in the offseason that they were potentially going to trade him but also still talking with an extension and that's Byron Buxton signs a seven-year, $100 million extension with the Minnesota Twins, uh, where there is a bunch of incentives and in the deal that can make it a lot worth a lot more money if he stays healthy. Yeah, that's the big thing here as well. Kind of like with Kluber, um, you might have a superstar on your hands in Byron Buxton, but, I mean, the guy's never stayed healthy in his career. Um, you know, his career high in innings and, and games played is 140 back in 2017. But other than that, uh, which 140 is not even a full, full season. You know, he missed 22 games that year. Other than that, his career high is 92 games played in a season. But when he's played, he's been good, especially in 2021. He only played 61 games, but he put up 4.2 wins above replacement in those 61 games, which is absolutely insane. He was playing at an MVP level, uh, a 306 average, 358 on base, 647 slugging, hit 19 home runs. Um, and you know, with Buxton, you're getting elite defense and base running as well. So it's one of those things that, um, I, I am very, um, you know, I'm very, very encouraged by what I've seen from Buxton when he's played, uh, one of his uh, initial concerns was his strikeout rate, which he's brought down a good bit. You know, you'd probably like to see him walk a little bit more especially with his speed and, and, and the fact that pitchers are probably still scared of him because of his power. So it's not like he's an only speed guy that everyone's just going to throw strikes to. 
Um, you know, you'd like to see him improve his discipline a little bit more. But this is a guy who, if he stays healthy, you've got a, a, a unbelievable contract on your hands. And I guess, you know, at seven years, $100 million, it's not like he's an albatross if he's not healthy all the time. Especially when, if, if even if he plays 60 games, he's putting up four win seasons. Like, that's still a good deal, yeah. even if it's only 60 games. So um, I don't think he'll put up the type of numbers he was on the pace for this year. But, you know, he's also a guy who you know, has very, very good potential. And and, it, and it's also kind of weird with him. And, you know, this is almost as much of a potential signing, you know, for the, you know, looking at, it's almost like signing a, you know, one of the international free agents that's already like 22, 23 years old, like a Seiya Suzuki or something. It's almost like signing a guy like him where you just don't know what you're going to get, but the potential's there to have a superstar in your hands. And you probably get him at a cheaper contract than you would get a, a typical free agent. So I think this is a, a nice signing for Minnesota. It's a risky one, but I really like this risk here because the upside is huge. Yeah, and like you said, even with signing a guy like a you know one of those international players, you've seen this guy do this in the major leagues. Like he's shown the ability to in sixty games to put up a four win season, in sixty games to hit you know three oh six, three fifty eight, nineteen homers, fifty runs. I mean like and you know as a leadoff guy that's an that's insane and in 60 games a 169 wrc plus like he is unbelievable when he plays and when he's healthy and i think he was just starting the past like year or two to really find his swing and find himself as a player and what he can do and then he could just never stay healthy like if buxton can stay healthy i mean you're looking at he has the potential to be a top 5 player in the league like that that's the type of potential Byron Buxton really has, and if you can get that for a fourteen million dollars a year, you know, for what he does right now, there, his incentives are play plate appearance based, so that will go up as he, uh, you know, as he can stay healthy. But I mean, even if he puts up, you know, a hundred games, a hundred and thirty games, doesn't quite reach these, these uh, these incentives that he has, and he puts up this this type of season, you know prolonged it's throughout the full time where he's doing that i mean that's still an amazing signing for the minnesota twins and i was never a fan of them really trying to trade him and i didn't think they were going to get the value for it and uh you know signing this extension it's it's right about the value i think that he probably should have got based on you know what he's put up so far in his health right so um i i, I agree with you I, I think it's a It'll be interesting to see what happens here. But uh, moving on, our, our next guy that we're going to look at um, is uh, a guy who had a lot of uh, a lot of interest this year. Good signed a pretty good deal. Kevin Gossman uh, signed a five year, hundred ten million dollars deal with the Blue Jays. Yeah, so this signing is really interesting. You know, Gossman got I think it was like a one year, nine million dollar deal from the from the Giants a couple years ago. Um, and then he took that qualifying offer, which we talked about a lot last year. And he turned it into his best season ever, a 281 ERA, a 3-FIP, a 328 uh, XFIP. Um, a guy who he pitched really well. He he struggled more down the stretch, and I don't quite know if that was because of he was a little bit fatigued from it or if he was kind of kind of seeing the same opponents over and over there, you know, in that NL West run. Um, but Gossman, I mean, it, it's a great signing for the Blue Jays. They were in, you know, still with trying to get Robbie Ray, which we'll talk about here in a little bit. Um, but it's interesting because the Blue Jays had a lot of interest in Gossman last year before he took the qualifying offer. Uh, they wanted to sign him last year instead of Robbie Ray. 
um, and they just couldn't quite convince him to. So that interest prolonged through the whole year, and you know they were able to sign him to a, a relatively good contract here. You know, five years, you know, one hundred and ten million dollar contract, twenty two million on average. You know, it there is a little bit of risk with Gossman being a fastball splitter guy. You know, I would rather have it be like a fastball slider or fastball curveball, um, just because the splitter and the fastball they can. At, you know, if you lose the grip for it, it can kind of mirror each other a little bit. So it is going to be interesting to see if he can keep that up. What he's, you know, what he found in San Francisco, keep that moving forward. Uh, but it is a good deal for the for the Blue Jays. You know, it, if they weren't able to re-sign Robbie Ray, which they weren't, we'll talk about that in a minute. You know, getting Gossman for a relatively, you know, a, a contract right around what they were going to spend anyways is it's a good deal. Yeah, and you know, Gossman's a guy who. Uh, I've watched a lot. He is a former Brave, and obviously haven't watched him quite as much since he became good. But um, he uh, he had a great year in San Francisco, like you said. Um, really, you know, a lot of people were talking about Logan Webb, and um, you know, Kevin Gossman was their ace for you know until maybe the last couple weeks of the season. So, um, although you know, Logan Webb probably kind of took over that role coming into the playoffs, but. Um, you know, Kevin Gossman's a good pitcher and he throws hard and he's got that devastating splitter. He's got two of the better pitchers in baseball with his good fastball and his devastating splitter. So, uh, you know, the issue for him always has been that that third one wasn't, wasn't showing up, but he was able to, you know, just simplify things and stop trying to throw that slider that was getting hammered or, or whatever, you know, you know, he still needs to throw it a little bit just as a show me pitch, but, um, you know, he's kind of figured out that he can thrive off of throwing that sl- that uh, splitter and fastball when, you know, especially if he locates it well. So uh, five years, $110 million. I felt like it was a little bit risky for a guy like Kevin Gossman. Uh, you know, $22, $22 million a year is something that's, I mean, that's a little bit much if he, you know, for, for such a big risk like, like Gossman is, I think, I feel like. But the same, especially with his track record really only being one one really good season. But, um, you know, at the same time, I mean, you know, if he keeps pitching like he did in um, in San Francisco, that's a that's a bargain. So um, I think he's uh, I think he's a good signing. I think the Blue Jays did a good job here. Uh, you know, they they really have a good one, two, three at the top of the rotation now with with Hinjin Ryu, uh, Jose Barrios and Kevin Gossman coming in there. I mean, that's going to be a really nice one, two, three. Plus, they have a couple of, you know, they're really highly rated prospects that, you know, are still from figuring things out, but but have huge talent like Manoa and uh and uh, Pearson. So I uh, definitely liked the, the move for the Blue Jays. And, um, you know, I think it was, you know, I expected them to make a move for a pitcher. And, uh, you know, this is the guy they chose. And I think it'll work out for them. Yeah. And Manoa, like you mentioned, he has still had a really good rookie year as well. So I expect him just to keep getting better. So that that rotation is, is going to be really good, especially if Pearson can, can, uh, can get healthy and figure out his struggles so far. But uh, we'll go ahead and move on to the uh, to the Texas Rangers, who are other uh, kind of Mets-like move. We had the Mets and the NL doing this, and the Rangers are the AL version of it, basically just handing out blank checks. Uh, so they've signed Marcus Simeon to a seven-year, $175 million deal, John Gray to a four-year, $56 million deal, and then their big one, they signed Corey Seager to a 10-year, $325 million contract. Yeah, so we'll start with Marcus Simeon. Um, he was one of the guys that you know was was thought of as, as being a um, you know one of the big five free agent shortstops in this class. Um, although he's played a little bit more um, of other positions throughout you know the last 
couple years. In fact, this year he played primarily second base, but uh, put up an MVP caliber season this year. Uh, the batting average at 265 wasn't wasn't super high, but he had, got on base a lot, 334, and he hit 45 home runs, um, which is super unusual for a shortstop slash second baseman to do. Uh, 2019 uh, was an even better season. He put up a uh, 285, 369, 522 line uh, with a 138 WRC plus and 33 home runs. That year was a 7.6 wins above replacement year. This year's a 6.6 wins above replacement year. Um, this is a guy who he also stole 15 bases this year and put up good metrics base running. That would probably signify even a better base runner than somebody typical who would steal 15 bases. I think he's going to have a great year in the next few years. I think with, with, with Texas, he's the type of guy who for three or four years is going to continue to thrive. Um, you know, he's a guy that he's got, he's got good plate discipline numbers, um, you know, hits for a lot of power. You know, I would expect him to put up 30 home run season again this year um you know he's a great defender whether you're playing him at short or at or at second base uh you're a fantastic defensive uh defensive player and um you know he, and like i say he's just he's he's a fantastic all-around player um and i think that the only concern is you know seven years for a guy who's going to be 31 this year that maybe doesn't have quite the track record of of some others and, and a lot of people don't especially expect Simeon to age very well um, is, is going to be something that, you know, people kind of look out for, but uh, I mean, you know, worst case, you got yourself a good second baseman for the next two to three years. Um, and, you know, obviously best case, you got an MVP on your hands. So, uh, you know, a good signing for Toronto. Absolutely. I mean, for, not for Toronto, for, uh, for Texas, with, with with Marcus Simeon and uh, I think that was that was one of their what you know obviously at least one of the highlights of this free agent class so yeah so the the Simeon signing was really interesting he was kind of the first of those those big short stops to really make his move um, and you know you were people were expecting him to to sign as a shortstop but he's actually going to sign as a second baseman and, and has committed to playing full time second base there. Um, He's going to be it, it's going to be really interesting to see the way he ages. You know, the seven years is a risk, especially since he's really had two big offensive seasons and the rest have kind of been, you know, not that great. I mean, you look at it. Oh, you mentioned his 2019 and what he did this year. You know, his best season outside of that is probably like 2017. He had a 249 and a 325 on base. So it, it there definitely is a risk to see, you know, if what he did last year is real if how he's going to age um but you're going to have to pay this money especially if you were texas to get a guy to come there with how bad texas has been the last couple years um and then looking over to a guy like john gray i think i'm a, I'm a little bit higher on john gray than most people are i think that him getting out of colorado full-time he can he can really be good you know his his uh peripherals don't look all that great his eras don't look all that great but it's more kind of his stuff that uh you know Pitching in Colorado, you have to kind of pitch differently. Um, he's a guy who's actually pitched a little bit better at Colorado. Um, his fastball doesn't get a, a ton of whiffs, but I wonder if that's just because of him trying to overuse it in Colorado. I think he has a good slider and a good curveball, but he hasn't been able to throw those quite as much um, because he has to deal with the altitude, especially the curveball. It doesn't break as well. So it'd be interesting to see the way he brings that back, if he brings it back um, in Texas. Um, 
you know, on a, on a deal, four years, 56 million, $14 million. I thought he was going to get more than that. I think I had, had him predicted at like five for 90 or something. Um, so it, it's going to be interesting. I don't think he's a top of the rotation guy. I think he's a low end number two, maybe a high end three. Um, but they're, you know, like I said, Texas has been really bad and they don't really have any pitchers. So you're going to have to kind of, you know, pay to get those guys to come there. Um, and it, so it's going to be interesting to see what he can do with the other pitchers on that staff, you know, with a, like a Dane Dunning, Colby Allard, if he can ever put it together, what, you know, see what they can get out of Spencer Howard. I don't think it's a lot, but you know, it, they have the makings of a, of a young rotation and can gray help those guys at all. And then obviously their big one, you know, being a Dodger fan, this one hurts a lot, but Corey Seager getting a 10 year, $325 million deal. Um, you know, it, it's extremely a risk because he's a guy like Byron Buxton who has had trouble staying healthy. Um, not quite to that extent. I mean, he's played 130 games three times in his career. Um, but when he's healthy, I mean, he is a superstar. He is probably the best hitting shortstop that was on the market this year. You know, he has a career 297, uh, batting average 367 on base. Um, this year, he put a 306 batting average, a 394 on base, a 147 WRC plus, um, and 95 games due to a broken hand, and still put up a, a 3.7, you know, wins above replacement. So he would have been close to a five win player this year if he had, you know, not had his hand broken that year. Um, he's a guy who his defense is is, I don't think it's as bad as what people think it is. Um, it definitely has struggled the past couple years, and I wonder if that's just with. Um, you know, he had come, he has come back off Tommy John and a hip surgery. Um, then this year with a broken hand, the metrics before the broken hand were still really, it was actually league average at shortstop. Um, he was really bad once he got back from that, but an absolute superstar player. And, you know, he's shown success in Texas with that 2020, you know, playoffs runs where he won the NLCS MVP and the world series MVP, just absolutely lighting it up in Texas. So it's uh it's going to be interesting, you know, 10 years, 27. So it's going to be seeing how he ages as well. I think the bat ages well, but it just depends on how, uh, you know, he eventually has to slide over to third base or maybe go into a full time DH role, depending on how that defense reacts to him aging. Yeah, I, I, I think you I agree on both of these guys. John Gray is a guy who, um, like you said, I, I think that has a lot of potential, um, almost a little bit like some of these other guys we mentioned. He, he, you know, you're almost signing him off of potential more so than you are off of, you know, his track record. Um, you know, he had a great year in 2017 with Colorado, um, you know, with a, a, a 367 ERA, and his metrics have always been better than his um, – than his, you know, result, ERA result, which is something that you would expect with Colorado. But like you said, uh, you know, he's pitched better at home than on the road in his career, which is kind of interesting with where he's been. But, um, you know, he's got he's got good uh, good numbers with the strikeouts, walks, uh, maybe a tiny bit high, but but not, not terrible. Um, and, um, you know, he gets a lot of grounders, and it doesn't make a ton of sense as to why he's, you know, been putting up, you know, poor, you know, pitching numbers, especially with the fact that a lot of his good work's been at home in Colorado. So um, I think that maybe some adjustments to his fastball and, and his pitch mix would help him a lot. And I think that the Rangers see that and sign him off of potential. So, uh, you know, definitely an interesting signing. I don't think it's it's, it's kind of like we had talked about. It's not one of those that's like a crippling type signing if he struggles, but, um, you know, it's still a good, uh, good one. And then, of course, Corey Seager, uh, you know, the, the number two, most people's number two free agent in this class, including what it would be my number two free agent, 
uh, you know, that's a great signing for the Rangers that they were able to pull that off. He's a cornerstone type player if he stays healthy, like you said. Um, the thing I like about Corey Seager the most is his plate discipline. Uh, he doesn't strike out a lot and he walks a lot. And that comes with a, a decent amount of power that, you know, probably is more so more power than he's shown already in his career because of, um, you know, just the amount of injuries he's had. He, you know, if he puts together a full season, you know, he's definitely a guy I could see hitting 30 home runs, 35 home runs. Um, I don't especially believe that Corey Seager is going to stay at sec shortstop for his entire career. I think he'll end up eventually moving over to third. Um, you know, he's a little bit, he's a little bit of a bigger guy for a shortstop. And, uh, you know, like you, like you mentioned some of the, you know, he hasn't been fantastic defensively, um, especially the last few years. He's good for his first couple years in the big leagues, but, um, definitely a guy that I would look for probably to end up eventually moving on to third base, which, uh, you know, obviously, you know, the Rangers are a team that has a lot of openings right now. So, uh, if you eventually need to move him to third base, you can kind of plan for that in your future. So uh, maybe he plays play shortstop for two or three more years, then moves over, and you know you have another shortstop come in, you can sign. But or or maybe there's someone in their farm system that develops into one. But uh, Seager is definitely a guy that is a cornerstone player, and I, I, I feel like the, these have been really interesting because the the Rangers were so bad last year, and it's not like they have a ton of reinforcements coming. I mean, they have a few, like Josh Young's supposed to be pretty good. Um, you know, they've got that that catcher, Huff, I believe is his name. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and then like you mentioned, a few of those younger pitchers that are, you know, kind of been in the big leagues a couple years, and maybe a couple of them were former top prospects, like Spencer Howard, uh, but have, haven't been great at the big league level. I, I really don't think this... You know, I think these moves help the Rangers a lot, and I think it's cool that a team like them is trying to compete. But man, I I don't think I can see it for this year still. But uh, they need a lot more depth pieces to to be a real con- contender this year. I know they do. They also have a couple other decent players. I mean, you don't know. Maybe Adolis ends up actually being pretty good. And I mean, you've got like Heiner Falefa if he doesn't get traded, which has been rumored a little bit um, that you know could play a solid you know, somewhere on the infield at a solid level. So uh, Nate Lau, pretty good this year, or Nate Low, I think it's Nate, I think you can pronounce his Low. But um, I think they're, um, you know, they're definitely headed in a direction that they're, they want to spend, and they had money to spend, and they're spending it and get good players, so. And one other thing we didn't mention, they did sign um, Cole Calhoun to a one-year oh, deal yes, as well. Yes. Um, I, I think it was one-year, eight million. I could be wrong, or I maybe believe it was four it was and a half. Like I think it was something like that. Um, so. But he, he's going to be an, an outfield bat for them as well. Um, and they've still been interested and shown a lot of interest in Seiya Suzuki. Um, so yep. he's a guy that, that could, they could absolutely still get as well. Um, like you said, I, I don't, they're not going to be, you know, competing for the division. They would need a lot to go right. Um, but I, they, you know, if, if things do break the right way, I mean, they could have an outside shot at the wild card. I mean, like an outside shot at a at a battle for that. Like, I'm not saying it's likely to happen. They would need things to break their way their way. But man, I mean, I I guess that's me being super high on John Gray, knowing what Corey Seager can do, and then seeing what Marcus Simeon was this last year. Sam Huff looked pretty decent when he was up. I mean, if you they still do can spend some more money if you get you know one of those guys like a Dane Dunning. I think he showed a little bit of promise this last year. Like it's not completely out of the realm of possibility, but it's not very likely to happen. Yeah, I'd, but it, I'd but be it's something that I I think I, that they're a team that you know needs stuff to go right for them to finish at five hundred still. But I mean, this is also a team could be a wild card. I mean, it could yeah. be. Yeah. 
I mean, look at I the American know. League. I mean, it could be. Well, the wild there were two 91 teams that didn't make it last year in the American League, so. Well, I'm also considering that there's going to be expanded playoffs too. Right, that, right. That seems to be a thing. Yeah. But. So. But anyways, we'll see what happens with, with the Rangers. I just I'm not I'm still not super high on them as a team, but uh, you know maybe they make the right moves and uh, maybe a couple of their young guys develop and, and end up you know producing and they could maybe compete. I, I don't know, but they, I think they still need to do a lot more in free agency slash trades to, to get to a com- competitive level for next year. But, um, uh, but they anyways. also are still really interested in Kershaw as well. Yeah. So, I mean, if they, that, make, would, that would help, that would, that help, would a help. Lot. If they get, if, if he does pitch, um, there's been the things that they would throw a lot of money at him. Um, so it'd be interesting to see if the Dodgers would match that as well. Cause they weren't willing to match, um, you know, Seeger's deal in the the length department at least. So, but uh, we'll go from one ALS team to another one. Um, this is kind of what we had mentioned earlier with Kevin Gossman and the Blue Jays, and that's Robbie Ray signs a five-year, $115 million deal with the Seattle Mariners um, that has an opt-out after year three. Yeah, Robbie Ray won the American League Cy Young, and that's the good news. And that's why he got this big deal. The bad news is that his that he has a history of being extremely inconsistent. Uh, you know, 2020, he was one of the worst pitchers in baseball. Uh, before that, he was a frustrating pitcher that could put up some good numbers at times, but really struggled with his command and, and kept him from being, a, you know, an ace level pitcher. Um, you know, and, and then of course, 2021, he cut his, his, his walk rate by a full walk per nine, below his career uh below his career low so he went from his career low before was a 3.45 in his rookie season um and he went from that to a 242 walk rate last year which was insane um and so you know whether for whatever reason you know, he just kind of figured things out, which, you know, hopefully bodes well for him in the future. And, and he can continue to do that. The Blue Jays obviously saw something in him. They, they brought him in in 2020 um, when, when he, he really didn't do all that much for them. And then they said, okay, well, he's, you know, we, we still believe in this guy and we're going to bring him back for 2021. And he paid off for them. Uh, and, and, you know, 2021 was fantastic. He, he, his peripherals weren't, um, you know, at the same level as his ERA, which, you know, maybe a little bit worrisome, um, you know, but he's a guy that, you know, if things go right, if he can continue his 2021 form, you know, this is a fantastic signing. I mean, you're getting a, a, a guy coming off the reigning Cy Young winner on a five-year $115 million deal. I mean, that's pretty unheard of in today's game, but you know, there is a lot of risk here with Robbie Ray. So we'll see how it pays off for them. Um, you know, I think, Probably what we end up seeing is something more like 2016, 2017 Robbie Ray, where I don't think he puts up another season like this, but he puts up a good season. You know, this year, 242 walk rate. I bet it's up in the threes again, but I don't think it'll, I don't think he'll bottom out as a legitimately a bad pitcher like he was in 2020. So um, definitely looking at Robbie Ray being a guy that, um, a, a, a guy that can, and, and, and with their situation, I mean, he's going to help them a lot. They have Marco Gonzalez. And Chris Flexen, who are pretty good rotation pieces right now, Robbie Ray really solidifies that if he can continue at his 2021 level, and you know, and it gives them a little bit of time for some of their younger guys like like Logan Gilbert, uh, you know, Emerson Hancock, some of those guys to develop into the big league starters. So uh, I think this is a pretty good signing and, and something that that 
you know, Seattle definitely needed a, a, a good pitcher to bring into the rotation. Yeah, they really did. And uh, I think Logan Gilbert pitched some this year and, and he struggled a little bit, but then he found a way to, I think later in the seasons kind of started trying to uh, figure it out a little bit. Um, you mentioned Emerson Hancock, George Kirby's another one that that's really close. He'll probably be up at some point this year. Um, you know, Seattle was really close at the end of the year. I think everyone, at least I was, I know a bunch of us were rooting for, for them to make the playoffs. You know, they had a kind of a, that outbreak year. They were going to have to spend money this year. Ray is a good get for them. I think it is interesting that Ray only signed for $5 million more than Gossman with did with the Blue Jays with Ray's former team. Um, you know, did the Blue Jays not offer that to Robbie Ray? We don't know, but you'd have to think he might have, you know, for $5 million, he could stay where he had, you know, had success with maybe. Um, but, you know, I like the Mariners getting this, getting Robbie Ray. There's a bunch of rumors about them still being in on some good offensive players. We already mentioned the Adam Fraser trade. Um, you know, this AL West kind of seems to be going for it. You know, the Rangers are making moves. The Mariners are making moves. The Astros, we know, are, you know, they've been, we're just in the World Series. The Angels have made, you know, some good pitching moves. We haven't even mentioned um, them signing, a, you know, Michael Lorenzen to a deal who wants to be a starter slash two-way player as well. Uh, we'll get probably in more into that next week. But, you know, this signing for Robbie Ray, it's good for him. It's good for the Mariners. And it's good for, I think, that the baseball in the American League West because that's going to kind of be a, a bloodbath between those four teams. And it's going to be really fun to watch. Yeah, for sure. Um, the AL West is going to be a... Uh you know, going to be a fun division to watch this year. Cause I think, you know, all the, uh, all the teams in the AL West with the exception of the A's are really trying right now. So. Absolutely. They are. Well, we'll get back to, or go to our last big signing that we're going to talk about, at least on this episode. And that's uh, shortstop Javier Baez signs a six year, $140 million deal with the Detroit Tigers. Yeah. So, uh, you know, man, this is a tough deal. Um, I, I'm not a, I've never been a super high on Javier Baez person. Uh, I think he's a, a really entertaining player to watch and I think he's got a lot of potential, but I, I'm terrified of that, of his profile at the plate. I mean, this year he had a 30, 34% strikeout rate and a 5% walk rate on the season between the, the Mets and the Cubs. Um, you know, he's a guy that, is Matt is frustratingly inconsistent at the plate. Um, he's never going to put up high on base percentages. He does play a great shortstop and he's a good base runner, which is definitely bodes well for him. But man, I, you know, and, and, and with his past history, I, I feel like he's probably worth this deal, but I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm terrified of a guy like with his profile going forward. Um, you know, so we'll see what happens. I think that one thing you are going to get if you're the Tigers is a guy who's going to come in there and bring a lot of energy and excitement to a, to that to that team that needs some of that right now. Um, you know, he's going to be a be in a leadership role there, which I think is something that's good for them. They have a lot of young players, um, but I think that um, you know, I don't, I don't know. I I think that what six years, 140 million dollars might be a little too much for him. Yeah, and especially, you know, in that ballpark, I don't think it'll play that well either. Like, that ballpark is notorious for taking away a lot of, you know, a lot of people's power alleys. I mean, the alleys are really deep there, so it's going to be harder to hit for power there unless you're, you know, pulling it down the line. Um, 
you know, either way that is, but you know, a Tigers fans probably are a little upset because you would think that you were going to get Carlos Correa. Um, and this is a, a much cheaper deal, but for a player who comes with ginormous risk, um, you know, he's going to play a good defense. Like you said, going to bring energy. It just, the profile scares you, you know, a, a 264 hitter with a 304 on base. That's not great. And, you know, he's just above league average offensively at a 103, uh, you know, WRC plus. So it, it, I, I don't, I honestly don't know what to think about the deal with the Tigers. Like I want to like it, um, but I just, I don't see much of the upside to it. You know, they're, they're still such a young team. They're not really that ready to compete. Um, you know, they signed a guy like Eduardo Rodriguez. I like that signing a lot more than I like this signing of Javi Baez. You know, if they would have signed a guy like Correa, I would have liked that more, especially for like a 10 years. He's going to be there a lot longer, and he's a better player overall. Um, but I guess, you know, you're going to need some of these veterans guys on this, you know, on the uh, the younger teams to, to bring that energy and kind of, you know, He's going to show them how to how to be a veteran, I guess. But, you know, we've even seen with Javi Baez this year with what, what he dealt with in, you know, in New York, doing the thumbs down to all the fans because he was upset they were booing him. Like, this Tigers team is probably going to get booed quite a lot because they're not that great. Um, so it's going to be it, it's going to be risky for them. And I, I just don't really know how to feel. I don't see a lot of the uh, the upside of making this signing at all. Yeah, I mean, like I say, I I'd. I think I'm a little higher on him than you are, actually. But, um, you know, I, I, he's a good defensive defensive player. Um, I mean, and you're probably going to get a couple years of of decent production at the plate out of him because um, he, he he hit the he hits the ball hard and he hits it all field. So he does put up decent offensive numbers. His career <coughs> Babip is um, up at a 3.35, which is really good. So you can afford to be a, a fairly high strikeout guy if you hit for that Babbitt with with power. Um, and, you know, the one thing that does bode well for him is that he had better plate discipline than he's ever had after he went to the Mets. But but and I, but I do agree to a certain level. Like, I mean, some of the – I wouldn't want him being my primary leader in my clubhouse. I, I, I don't think I meant being a leader more so than just bringing a lot of energy to that team and right. excitement. I think that – think that, you know – I don't think he's a great leader for a team. I think you definitely saw that in New York, but um, but I and I but I think the Tigers are a lot closer to contention than you think they are too. So um, I don't know. I mean, are they? They're I mean, closer yeah. than the Rangers. I mean, mm. by a pretty good bit, I think. I mean, I the mean, Tigers have, but but miles better farm system than the Rangers, yeah, and they I, have they to, have and they have some of those top pitcher, those young pitchers pitching. in the big leagues, yeah. But. I would have liked this deal a lot better if it was with, you know, like the Marlins or if it was back with the uh, the Mets. I just – I don't like it for him being on the Tigers. Like I just don't think he fits well there, and I don't feel like he fits in that ballpark well. Like that's – I think that's my, my thing is like there's a bunch of places that Javi would, would be fine. Like he's a, he's a fine player. Don't get me wrong. I just don't think he fits the Tigers and this team right now like – I don't think he's the greatest fit there. So I don't I don't see the upside of them signing him over a guy like I would have rather them signed Correa and just spent the extra money on it. Like that signing I would have liked a lot better cuz he's a, a much better player overall and he's going to be there for a lot longer and you're not you don't have as much risk with him outside of just 
you know, if he can stay healthy, which he's shown the past couple of years to be able to do that. Yeah. No, I mean, I don't disagree with that at all. I mean, I think we're kind of on the same page, but, um, you know, I, I, I think, I think that's kind of the opinion on the Tigers in general is kind of where we were disagreeing. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I definitely would have gone for, you know, if you have to spend 10 million more dollars per year, then they're spending on Baez, who I believe is getting what? 23. Uh, 23. Yeah. He's getting 23. So, you know, if you could spend 10 million more a year and get Correa, I think you probably do that. I think the you difference between Baez and Correa is is ten million dollars worth. But you probably have to spend twelve to get Correa. He's looking for like ten three fifty. Yeah. He so off Lindor. Right. So, um, but I mean, ten to twelve, ten to twelve more. I mean, it, yeah. You know, I don't think the two million's that much it, of a deal, big deal breaker. And I think getting him, but... getting Correa back with AJ Hinch would have been a lot better, anyways. But regardless, yeah. um. You know, we have one little other move that happened today, or no, yeah, happened yesterday, but it's still a, a pretty interesting one. That's Jacob Stallings getting traded from the Pittsburgh Pirates to the Miami Marlins uh, for uh, starting pitcher Zach Thompson and two prospects. Yeah, so, um, you know, Jacob Stallings is a guy who I think is a, a pretty good catcher. Um, he's young. Um, I think he's he's not a free agent until 2025. He's 31. Well, he's third. Um, when I mean young, I don't mean he's young, young. I mean, he's not a free agent for a while. Like yeah, he's controllable. It's probably the better way to put it. But uh, 2021, he actually put up 2.6 war, which is pretty nice. Like, he's a great defensive catcher. And, uh, you know, he's kind of a okay hitter. I mean, he's not an embarrassment at the plate. You know, he actually draws a lot of walks, which is nice. Uh, doesn't strike out a ton. Doesn't really hit for much power is kind of his big problem at the plate, but I mean, you know, he's put up this year, he put up close to league average at the plate, 95 WRC plus, not great, only a 246 average, but he had a 335 on base and a, you know, which was pretty nice, you know, you could slide him in, you know, in Miami as your number eight hitter. Um, He's probably been, he's been every bit as good of a hitter as Jorge Alfaro has been. And, uh, you know, with his defense is something that's going to be really nice for them. Um, and uh, catching that pitching staff, you know, you, you got all these young pitchers, you know, you're putting up a little bit of a machine uh, on the mound and, and at the plate, you know, with, with a guy like Kevin, with uh, Jacob Stallings, um, you know, catching these guys. I mean, you're, you know, it's going to be, he's going to improve them an awful lot with his ability to frame pitches and to, you know, just be a generally good defensive catcher. So um, we'll see if he puts up another defensive season like he did this year. I think that really came more more from being, um, you know, playing more of a full role this year. You know, last year, only 42 games, obviously, is a uh, the shortened season, but put up, put up a win in, one win above replacement last year. So I think this is a guy that if, you know, he only played 112 games this year. I mean, if, he, if you can get him to catch 130 games, 140 games, um, you know, you could see a three to four win player here, which is really, really nice. Uh, and the return, uh, they did get the, um, they did get a big leaguer in return and Zach Thompson, who, um, you know, he was pretty good at the big league level this year. Um, you know, 324 ERA is really nice. 75 innings pitched. He kind of bounced back and forth between the rotation and the bullpen. Um, he, he got away with a lot of, um, you know, a lot of hard contact that was hit in the air. Um, you know, a, a 7.1% home run per fly ball rate is, is very low. And before this year, he did not have a good track record. Um, 2019 with, with the White Sox was, 
uh, very rough in the minors, and then 2021 at the, with Miami in a, just 15 innings in Triple A was was really rough. But um, you know, 2021 and with at the big league club was was pretty solid. And um, you know, I don't think he'll repeat that, but he's definitely an intriguing arm for the for the Pirates to get return here. That that you know is at least something that they could look at in their rotation for a while and eat some innings. So yeah, the reason I like this trade is because. You know, Stallings is 31. You have him for three more years of control. You're not going to get much out of him. You're not going to be ready to compete really in three years, I don't think. I mean, it's probably right outside your window. And by that time, you probably have Henry Davis, the number one overall pick up um, in your organization, where Thompson doesn't even have a full year of of service time. So you get him for pretty much six years. Um, Even at 28, you know, he's a a big guy, 6'7", 230. Um, So he's he's a... you know, imposing figure on the mound, even though he doesn't really strike out too much or you know, strike out all that much, many people. You know, the ERA was good. The FIP wasn't too bad. It was a little, you know, higher than what the the ERA was at a three sixty nine. But like you said, got away with a lot of home runs or a lot of fly balls. A home run, not giving up many home runs, I should say. Uh, but going to a place like Pittsburgh, which you know plays a lot bigger than what most places play. Uh, coming up right out, you know, especially getting that breeze off the the river for a while. Uh, you know, it, it's interesting. I, I like Zach Thompson. He's a, you know, I think he's a, a four or five, probably in a, in a rotation, you know, uh, that's battling for a wild card spot, I would guess. And, you know, he's probably going to be one of their better pitchers that they have in Pittsburgh, but they get him for six years of, you know, a catcher who wasn't really going to be around for their winning, winning days. So, yeah, I think and it's, the, it's the prospects true. the prospects aren't anything. It's a they're both twenty two years old, and one of them's at double A, and the the other one hasn't even been above uh, you know A ball before. So, yeah, um, not much value that they got with the prospects wise. It was pretty much the Stallings for uh, for Zach Thompson deals. Pretty much what it was. So, uh, you know, we flew through a lot of it today. I know we probably didn't give as much time to to some of the deals as we probably should have. Uh, we're still at an hour as of this moment. Uh, and there's a lot to talk about next week. We'll have, you know, some of the under the radar signings that we didn't get to this week. There's been a couple more trades that happened in the past day or two that weren't quite big enough to make this. Um, and then we have the non-tender deadline, which uh, there's a there's a couple surprising names, not as big as last year's, but there's still a couple surprising names that got non-tendered um, that we'll talk about next week. And the uh, the lockout is seeming like it's going to happen, you know, as we're recording this, it happened tomorrow night at midnight or 9 p.m. Pacific time. Um, the negotiations have not been very, uh, very fruitful for either side, and it seems like we're getting ready for a, uh, a long lockout. So there won't be much news to talk about as we're, as we're uh, you know, going on for probably the next month unless uh, some major changes happen within the next 24 hours or so. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, we could potentially see another player or two sign. I think it would probably be tonight, especially if they're changing teams, um, you know, with the, with the need for physical. But, um, you know, that would be borderline if they're able to get it in time. But um, definitely, um, you know, definitely looking forward to seeing how the lockout negotiations go. And, uh, you know, we'll have a lot of different things to talk about. We'll, we'll be able to kind of summarize better what all's happened, um, you know, kind of on a team by team basis, whatever team still needs. And, uh, you know, it's been a frantic last, you know, probably three days, maybe it's been pretty frantic. And uh, yeah, Friday. Yeah. So and and then, you know, going into going into, you know, tomorrow will be before, to, you know, between now and tomorrow afternoon will be pretty frantic as well, I think. And 
Um, maybe not quite as much as the last 24 to 48 hours have been, but uh, definitely uh, definitely a lot to look forward to. Uh, we'll see what kind of players uh, do wait. Um, I, I think that it's likely that, that Carlos Correa waits. Um, you know, I think that probably most of the guys who are likely going to eventually be DH, DHs later in their deals, potentially like, like a, like a Castellanos, Anthony Rizzo, Freddie Freeman probably wait, even though there's some rumors that Freddie Freeman wanted to go ahead and sign before the, the, the non-tender deadline. I think there's a lot of people who, you know, a lot of those types of guys are, are probably going to wait. Um, and then, um, we'll see what happens. It'll, it'll be interesting. And, uh, We'll, um, you know, we're going to have a long, uh, probably a long drought of not a lot of news here for the next, you know, who knows how long it could be. It could be two weeks. It could be two months. It could be six months before we have a resolution. And God forbid they, they stop the, they, they delay the season. I think that would be an absolute disaster uh, on both sides, but between the players and the owners for them to, to, to delay the season next year. But, um, Hopefully we'll have a happen, we'll have but... a lot more time to to go into the depth with that, but yeah, uh, for, I doubt I doubt they let the the, the season be affected by it, especially coming off twenty twenty, how we just saw how that affected affected the season um, and and what it did to revenues and everything within the last you know year with building it back up and everything. So, but like I said, we'll have a lot more to do, um, you know, a lot more time to break that down. Thank you guys for sticking with us through this longer episode and, uh, you know, us rambling on and uh, pushing some of these a lot faster than we probably should have. But it's been a wild week and, uh, you know, hopefully we uh, this doesn't stop and hopefully they, uh, the players and union can come to some sort of agreement soon, but it doesn't look like it. So, well, uh, thank you guys for tuning into this episode of the Bat Flip Podcast and we'll catch you guys next week. Thanks, everybody. 